Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 10, issue 499. And today we're going to visit another world. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue are Chris O'Regan. Misuwa. Close. Carl Moon. Hey everyone. Tony Atkins. Hello. So here we are to talk about the game that is uh, originally titled Another World, even in its native French. I don't think it ever had a French title. It was always designed to have an international title, unlike Eric Chahi's previous game, which was called something French. You may know it, listener, if you're from the USA or other parts of the world as either out of this world or if you're Japanese or familiar with the Japanese version of the game, just simply Outer World. And of course, that's not to be confused with the more recent The Outer Worlds or indeed (laughs) Outer Wilds. What is it, though? The original Another World is, by my estimation, a near wordless 2D vector polygon cinematic adventure in which a scientist attempts to escape from captivity on a dangerous alien planet following an experiment gone awry. Now, Carl, I'm surprised that you never put this game forward for the show. (laughs) Given that you're kind of, for many, many, many years, the only avatar by which you were known online was the the picture the painting of lester knight shaking from the famous cover of the game yeah it's um it, it's definitely followed me for a long time it's it's one of those games where every year i drop between five and ten games all the way through the year that i'm like these are the ones that i'm gonna put forward and then you know every year it's just been beaten out by something else that i think will make for a really interesting discussion um yeah and yeah, and then eventually, you know, we, we finally got round to it. And I th- yeah, I you'd, think... fig- you'd figured that we'd get to it at some point on, a, yeah. on some significant anniversary, as we have. Ex- exactly. I mean, I was never concerned that we would never not talk about it. But yeah, I'm quite sad that it's probably taken us this long for a game that's, you know, obviously pretty important to me. Special um, for you. But but yeah, definitely excited to finally be talking about this game. But yeah, you're abs- you're absolutely right. It's um, a lot of people do know this title by the uh the 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 strange t-posed yeah. uh, avatar art that, that i've had in my, my profile for though, probably a probably a best part of a decade so what inspired you why why is it that why is it that particular image and why this game was it why did it resonate do you think it it it's sort of a two form factor um reason really uh one is that i just think it's an exceptional piece of box art um, that that struck me from the the moment that I very first saw it. It's one of those that you can always recall, um, sort of just the, the palette, the the art style of everything to do with the box art, and I I just thought that it would make for a, a really interesting avatar, a really beautiful um, heading thing that's behind the avatar. I can't remember what you call those, but it's kind of the background pick, which is I, mm-hmm. I've all I've often used sort of the I suppose the second screen, if you will. Yeah, of the game as that as that background. So it it whenever I thought of uh, video game related imagery, that box art is obviously a part of it. And then the other part of it is just that, um, as a kid, there were very obviously games were a, an incredible marvel when I when I was young. Um, you know, as many listeners will know, I got an Amiga on my um when I was four years old at, at Christmas around nineteen eighty eight. And games had started to make a real impact on me in, in many different ways. I think I've referenced Shadow of the Beast for a number of reasons for its soundtrack, right? And then um, Dragon's Lair was always something that really stood out visually. And then 
when another world started getting like it was in magazines and and it was on a, like it was even on TV like it was like you just it, you were aware of the game existing that excited me in a in a strange way I didn't know why and then the first time I played it you know you you get on that first screen you're like well, this just looks different and it just had such a strong impact on me for reasons that at the time I didn't really know and I'll try and verbalize those as we go through the the, yeah, the podcast <laughs> um as you know a, a kind of referencing back upon you know 30 years now of why that was such an important uh, in such an important mm. title but at the age of you know uh what seven all, all I knew is that it it was something special to me um so yeah it was just it, just something quite magical from from my childhood that really made me step back and go like, oh, so this is this is video games. This is different. Like this is pretty, um, yeah. But regardless of the punish punishing factor of of the, of the game, but yeah, that that's why the game is so important to me. Um, just it really had such a big influence on me as a as a really young child. Chris, how about yourself? Uh, you were a little older than seven. You <laughs> won't mind me saying when this first emerged. As was I. I should say uh so do you remember the the buzz around another world in the early 90s i really do remember this very very clearly um so i was about 20 when the game came out i had just defected from the amiga to the from the st sorry to the amiga and this suddenly appeared um however i had moved on uh and 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 uh i remember distinctly seeing this game being demoed and W. Smith's back in the day when he used to sell games, because hmm. I remember it was that store. I thought it was HMV at one point, but no, it was it wasn't. Cause I remember all the it was lots of brown everywhere back in the day when everything hmm. was brown in W. Smith's. And um, yeah, I was uh, just enthralled because I adore adventure games. Way back, if you go back to Turn and Og and games like that on the on the spectrum and those all heavy on the magic and things like that is graphical sort of tour de forces that really were um and just like underneath it was this fantastical story um some better than others but uh this you know uh, another world was was all of that and then some and it was just a hint at the future i generally thought that uh whether i was right or not i don't know but i just remember being really taken by the introduction and how that man was you know, driving his car and pressing the code into the keypad and just how i just couldn't figure out how any computer at that time a home computer maybe a you know a mainframe computer you know, but not a not a home computer could do this but somehow they did it we'll talk about how it's done later on in the show i know but that's my personal sort of history with um, initial history with another world, and yes, it did get it home. I did load it up onto my Amiga and and finish it. Um, I used um, uh, I used a Gravis gamepad, which I still have to this day, the same same one <laughs> that I used back then. I used it again today to, before we're recording to play it again and finish it again today. And With a thirty-year-old uh, hand cack. Thirty-year-old. <laughs> well, I do clean it actually. I'm sure stuff, you do. But, sure. Uh, but I'm 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 amazed that that thing still works. But if you actually now know that Gravis gamepads are actually amazing, people generally uh, are quite impressed by them. I don't know why. Anyway, it's a separate issue. But point is, um, uh, it's that's for me. Um, 
uh, just a, a pivotal moment in, in adventure game design and development is another world for good or ill because there's some ill i'm afraid talk about that in the show tony what about your memories and history with another world and a different story again from the other two here no so mine's different um in the fact that you know i i in my early years of um gaming had plenty of hand-me-down consoles so i had like a hand-me-down amstrad i had a hand-me-down amiga and then a hand-me-down snares and snares and all all those things because i was young and you know my brothers would spend their money buy their their stuff and when they got bored of it or moved on to latest tech as the youngest in the family i would gain that that tech so my experience in another world was just a big awesome looking box (laughs) and amongst Mm -hmm. many uh cool looking amiga boxes and it sat there for a long time as you know i worked my way through my brother's old library of games that he he picked up so this what i would have come out when i was 11 but i i would probably never have played it uh, upon that date so you're probably talking i'm a teenager probably at this point when i'm playing this game um and yeah you know, I'd, I'd love to tell you my my first impressions were amazing which they were in that opening scene but i never went on to complete the game i have to say mm. i do have a a strong memory i think which was quite a few games back from that era if if i'd got really stuck it wasn't like i can just check everything just quickly check the internet here we go i'll work my way Mm -hmm. through this you know unless it was in a a magazine in which case you know these are older games that i were i was experiencing at the time you know it wasn't a case of me just finding out so i'd i i remember a game of frustration wanting to get further and further in the game because you know visually and we'll talk about it it was spectacular um but my memory as a kid was well this is too hard Mm i guess i'll move on um but that's not to say that I didn't go on to complete it because because of Carl's legendary avatar. Um, um, when the re-release came out in 2014, um, we were quick to buy it. So I was quick to buy it on uh, the Xbox One and play it back. So my first completion of the game was in 2014. Now, I don't know if I probably, you know, looked up some bits and, and bobs, no doubt mm. if I did get stuck. But I remember thinking, no, oh, wow, this is, you know, visually this is really interesting and you know, i got for it and um then i played for it again today that's very a, good as a good refresher so yeah a couple of times a few times over the years but yeah my my lasting memory is of a game that was very very hard for my young brain um mm. as a hand-me-down but um that box art man oh <laughs> it's still <laughs> still remember it today and those beautiful big boxes that mega had so yeah. yeah well i was buying those hand over fist oh. circa 1991 92 i was earning money, still living at home and buying Amiga games by the by the dozen every week, uh, mainly brand new, some secondhand from local Where are you now, Leon? Where are they now? Well, there's a, there's a, there is a big pile over to my left, uh, which I've been meaning to eBay for a long time, but um, many of them got handed on to uh, uh, a friend, and um, I think, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know is the answer to it for a lot of those. I sold, there was, there was a point where you could still sell Amiga games for money, but that was uh, many, many, many years ago now, um, you know, outside of the eBay collector's market. But yeah, I was actually wondering, I was looking in my in my pile if Another World was still among them, but I, I don't think it is. Uh, but yeah, I, my memories of this were, yeah, it was all over the covers of the uh, Amiga mags in particular at the time and some of the multi-formats as well. There was a lot of excitement for it, This the idea that this kind of, this game with sort of cinematic type cutscenes and things but you were still actually in control of the action was 
uh, something exciting and it had this quite uh, distinctive visual style and uh, the reviews came out and they were very strong so I did what I did most weeks which is go downtown and find one of the shops whether it was yeah WH Smiths or Virgin or HMV or Woolworths or goodness knows wherever else and uh, and one weird little odd memory that I, I've got to say even though I'm not sure it's actually it does apply to this game but it, it might be a slightly false memory but I remember there was a VAT rise at some point in this era and everything got put up by a little bit. And I remember this game being rather than the familiar £24.99, uh, which is the equivalent to about 50, 60 quid today. Uh, it was £25.99 because of the VAT rise. Um, <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, got it home. It was, as you say, one of those huge form factor Amiga cardboard boxes, which basically mainly existed to give a perceived sense of value i think it was a, a hangover a legacy hangover from the time when sometimes you would get a giant manual or a t-shirt or, or some extraneous gubbins in the box but what ended up happening was games like this you just have a manual and two discs and an enormous amount of air inside your box yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know it was fun you lined them all up on the shelf but yeah actually it was a storage nightmare uh, but yeah, like you, Tony, I never finished this game. I found it quite frustrating. <laughs> For sure. Uh, I, I loaded it up quite a lot. I played that opening section, mm. goodness knows how many times. And the bit I always got up to and before I got stuck, and uh, and we should remember, with particularly with the Amiga version, as Chris will have been reminded today, there was a certain amount of, it wasn't the fastest running game. There was a, quite a lot of disc access. And so when you died, there was, rather than jumping straight back into the action, as you can with the modern versions, there was often a certain amount of churning and waiting. Um, and you know with games with insta-death, as this game has, that can be quite off-putting and it's not something I have an enormous amount of patience with. So I always got up to the point with the water where the there's the mm. rock fall and the, the yeah. water and the and the and you have to do all that round the houses stuff. And I died there so many times and in the end, yeah, I moved on, consoles took over and uh the Amiga went away and uh, I never got around to finishing it. But this week, I uh, can't remember when I bought it, but yeah, I've got the 20th anniversary edition on the PS4 and I finally finished it Yay. after 30 years, 2021. <laughs> uh, I played it on easy mode, although I'm still not really understanding what the differences are because you can still die instantly on easy. I don't know if anyone's actually clocked I the... think, sorry to cut you off there, honestly, but uh, I think it's the hitboxes that's slightly different. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. But yes, it only took me 30 years and an easy mode to finally get it done. But uh, I've seen the giant, the end, come up on the screen and that's good enough for me. I've got a screenshot to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, developed by, well, really it's uh, mainly a one or two man project, but it was released by Delphine Software, who uh, the creator Eric Chahi had already formed a relationship with. It was also uh, ported to console by the likes of Interplay and there was a late Jaguar version by The Removers. And Dotemu responsible for the 15th and 20th anniversary editions. Delphine published the original game in France, at least. Uh, over here in Europe, it was US Gold, uh, a label with a, a checkered history. Sometimes they would release amazing stuff, sometimes not so much. Uh, yeah. Interplay released the console versions and Virgin as well on some formats. Not sure which were which, but... Uh... So yeah, Eric Chahi, the French designer, born in 1967. A quote from him from 2015 says, I'm a bit eccentric. 
I'm not going to GDC every year. I'm not playing every game that's out. I love games and I love creating games, but because I love many other things, I don't focus as much as maybe other developers. Game came out, as we say, 30 years ago on Amiga NST, give or take, 1991. T-Bird from our forum says, Out of this world was the SNES game I associate with a summer trip in my early teens. The art style and animation were amazing and like nothing I'd ever seen before. And well, what attracted me to the game to begin with? Luckily for me, there was also a really interesting game to be found here. While I never got too far through it, that summer a positive association with it remained in my mind. Nearly 20 years later, I decided that I was finally going to remove it from my pile and thus played through it from beginning to end. It's difficult, in no small part due to the stiff controls and being quite choppy on the SNES, but also fascinating, exciting, unique, deadly and beautiful. It held up in many ways, though the trial and error gameplay and occasionally obtuse puzzles, having to shoot an object numerous screens earlier in order to escape a firefight yeah. <laughs> later, haven't aged as well as the rest of it. If I had to sum up my feelings about it at the time, I would call it a troubled sort of love. Highly recommended, but keep a walkthrough or hint guide on hand. So we mentioned the reviews at the time. I remember Amiga Action giving it an 89%, but also Amiga Format, slightly less keen, but still very keen, 82%. CMVG gave it a whopping 94%. I think that might have been for the Mega Drive version. The one for Amiga gave it 93, Amiga Power gave it 89, CU Amiga 91, and so on and so forth. That's the kind of ballpark we're talking about. And even in 2021, the Steam 20th anniversary version has a very positive rating from 1,200 odd folks who have registered. So what's it all about? The scenario, the story and the setting. According to Moby Games, Delphine's two-part story, that's including the possibly non-canonical sequel wordlessly tells in smooth rotoscoped polygon cinematics of the tribulations of a whiz kid physicist Lester Nightchakin in a strange and dangerous alien world found just on the other side of a fluke, fluke particle accelerator incident captured by alien humanoids and imprisoned with one their joint escape attempt lays waste to significant portions of a fantastical otherworldly city as this unlikely pair strives for revenge justice and freedom some scenes and plot elements from the first game are built upon and revisited from his alien buddy's perspective in the second, as loose ends of a larger umbrella narrative are put to rest. I suppose what strikes, strikes me watching that famous intro that I may have watched I don't know how many times, and I'm sure between us we've all watched it hundreds of times over 30 years, uh, is the fact that, and I'm sure I guess Eric Chahi got this out of books, but this was prior to the Large Hadron Collider existing as an actual thing, right? But that's effectively what Lester Knight Chakin's mucking around with. Yes. Yeah, he did have a fancy computer, though, didn't he? What, he did. what is it? The hologram? AR. The, yeah. yeah, it's amazing. In 1990. <laughs> it knew just... that he'd driven his Ferrari to work. It did. It did. <laughs> Scanned his key. Very, yeah. very impressive. It's like and... Google. And there is one thing I noticed that made me chuckle so on the Amiga version and indeed the Switch or later versions. There's an option he selects mm -hmm. with G, whether it's plus or minus. And he makes it minus. Now I'm thinking, if only he left it as plus, there wouldn't yeah. be much of a story. <laughs> He'll just, oh, didn't work. Never mind. All right, let's have a sandwich now. That the would be the game. Is, uh, <laughs> the lightning storm at the same time, I think, is the problem, isn't it? Maybe, but if, I'm just thinking. I'm just like little narrative there for my alternate reality where yeah. 
where he doesn't do the plus, he does the minus, or the minus, other way around. This made me chuckle because he does select all these little meaningless options. Like it's quite, I, I love that. Just it's, it's such an iconic introduction. One of the it most is, famous, yeah. uh, famous introductions yeah. for a video. I mean, game. you say really meaningless, video. you say meaningless options, but you're not a <laughs> physicist. No, it's true. But I've I, never actually looked. I've, I've never. Yes. Actually, I, I suspect it's all nonsense. But, suspect, you know. It might not be. It might be correct. It might be you. Who knows? The fact that his device looks and acts like a large hadron collider prior I, so it makes me think that Eric Chahid had, had read some books. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but beyond that, yeah. I suspect a lot of the uh, the actual gobbledygook on screen is probably just that. Yeah, uh, he hadn't actually solved the mysteries of the universe, or indeed transdimensional warping. <laughs> but. Uh, that's what happens to Lester uh, after some rotoscoped, fancy rotoscoped uh, toy car action and opening of a Coke can, the props of which Eric Chahi keeps in his in his house to this day, which is cool. But yeah, it was it's uh, in, in an era we are now very, very used over the last goodness knows how many years, pa- partially influenced by the likes of this game to cinematic cutscenes, but to actually have a however long it is two to three minutes cinematic to open a game was not usual back then sometimes static screens you might get sometimes some words some pictures but yeah something like that was where it was essentially throwing you into the story through an animation was uh, was exciting and and yeah even though the graphics today obviously to somebody who's never seen it before and is maybe coming off the back of 2021 games might go huh uh, but actually because it's so very stylized and i think this goes for the visuals in the game as well they kind of hold up better than they might do yeah i mean ab- absolutely and i think it as you say it's so unusual for such a uh, an extended introduction to a game anywhere let alone one that's so like technically advanced ahead of its peers at the time um i remember sitting there watching it obviously at the age of seven i was very much into watching my animated movies anyway you know the old disney classics and stuff i was still a child let's let us not forget um <laughs> and it, it that transition into games was was really starting to pick up pace and being able to sit there and watch something that I hadn't seen in a video game at that time. But then not only watch an introduction happen like that, but for the game to actually start and and follow in a very similar art style that yes. felt like you'd actually continued the experience outside of an animation Absolutely. was mind-blowing to me. In 2021, like I still actually think it it really works. Like I th- I think it is because of the the visual makeup of the scenes. But in the way that I almost feel like you know we went from there were stories in games, but they weren't visualized kind of like that. Certainly as an opening scene, um, and then we went all story, and then we went back to games like now. There's this reminds me of many indie games which actually yeah. use this technique, which yeah. is okay. Well, we're not going to spend our budget on you know voice acting all this stuff we're mm-hmm. going to represent the story by you know scenes that happen here it's almost like a prestige to other stuff in modern era but actually this is the one that kicks it off and it's it really works still like even now i'm like that's really quite charming and that you know i'm actually engaged in the narrative here before i've even got into the game and that's actually something relatively difficult to do because i'm thinking now of so many you know cg cutscenes and stuff that happen and like you know they're all trying to sell you their their wonderful worlds and you almost just go yeah cool yeah can we just get to the game part but hmm. even now i'm like i'm, I'm engaged i'm following it i'm, I'm you know mate some of it is maybe it's just charm and you know remembering playing it you know at different times in my life 
but it you know it still looks really stylized and cool and the fact that one thing that i got today is like we opens the the can you know and it makes that yeah. sound it's like that doesn't have to be there like that they could he could have quite easily and not had that included but it's just that little, tiny little bit of narrative that go oh look he's just sitting back and chilling and I you know, this he- hits it it's cool yeah, and the other aspect that I think it's important to draw upon about the sort of scenario. So initially, you only see your one your one character, your protagonist, this red-haired scientist, physicist, uh, who ends up in this uh, suddenly plunged into uh, a deep pool of water, being grasped at by tentacles and trying not to drown. You climb out of the water. You're immediately beset upon by annoying little creepy gloopy slugs with spikes uh, that try to kill you and do with them sorry with with one with (laughs) with one hit um you escape that scenario then you get attacked by a big beast then you get captured by aliens then from that point on uh, it actually becomes uh, quite a sweet sort of buddy movie a wordless buddy movie as you befriend your alien who you don't share a language with all you can understand is that he says Matsuba, whatever that means. Um, the, you've actually had the uh, an alien guard seemingly of the same species, but with angrier eyes uh, shouting at you for rocking your cage <laughs> earlier. Um, and yeah, and this the story intertwines with with you and, and this character all the way through right to the very end in some really interesting. And, and I th- again, I think this was. Obviously, we, we, you know, there were some other games before that it featured two playable aspects like Head Over Heels and things like that. Um, this this time, this was an AI companion of sorts. Uh, and not only did it sort of make the game or the scenario perhaps a bit more interesting than so many other video games, which were focused on you versus everything else in the game, um, but also sort of changed the whole mood of the piece from totally lonely and isolated to actually there is some decency in this otherwise savage new plane that you found yourself in. We all agree. No, we nothing, all agree. <laughs> nothing, on, nothing on the buddy, whatever his name is. I liked him. I, I was very, um, I, I thought he was a wonderful protector. He was, despite everything, I mean, really, they threw everything at him. And he, there are times when he has a quite, he gets take the pasting. He and does. um but he does, uh yeah. he uh no he's he doggedly protecting you for whatever for, i don't know what his motive is well you're both empathy you're both you're being ca- encaptured or enslaved even possibly it's never mm. really explained it, uh, which, no. which is one of the fun things about the game is that it doesn't over explain but the, it, what's interesting is the fact that they i guess they're not familiar with whatever your species is but they immediately the the kind of the dominant aliens actually immediately treat you as they do many of their own which is to incarcerate them yeah 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 ab- absolutely and and obviously it builds up that loyalty you're, you know you're both in the cage you rescue him from the cage you know there's that sense that do they owe you something do they feel like they're uh, sort of indebted in gratitude yes. and it, it carries on all the way through the movie from you know putting you through the floor when you go in uh, like down the little I want to say pipe. It's not a pipe, but it's just like a little thin gap before you do your rolls, kind of thing. Like all, all of these little bits throughout the the game are, are fantastic, and um, it, it's it's surprising that they that he has the exact same visual style as all the other characters of his ilk of his yeah, and, and I, he. 
I mean, yes, if if they do all look the same, then he should look the same as them. But often that isn't the case in video games, right? So mm. it, it, he would stand out for a reason, for one reason or another. Mm. But he really does look exactly like all he the does. And then you get that. You get that. Obviously, there's the fight, the, the scuffle at, at yeah. the end, yeah. and that is really confusing because you don't know. Who's who? It's it's. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we've probably all seen TV shows or movies where you've got the equivalent of someone's cloned and they're like, shoot them. I'm the real person. That kind of moment. Um, and and that's sort of the the direction that I thought it was going to go into. Um, it's sort of at that end game. And I, you know, I I mean, I didn't get through to this until a lot, you know, a, a, a lot later in life than when I didn't complete it when I was seven. Um, so even as an adult, I was like, oh, what if I shoot the wrong one? Like, <laughs> but, uh, you, so <laughs> it, it was just strange that he looked the same, but I, it's something that I really, really appreciated him. I thought he was a really cool side character. I mean, you could you can forget your God of Wars and your Last of Us. <laughs> this <laughs> this is a proper buddy, but, um, but to a different degree. I mean, there's still that same sense. I still felt, even without the conversations, the the long drawn out adventure over an extended period of time, I still felt like there was a very good connection between my character and that character yeah. going throughout that. And I, I really, really appreciate that about this game. And to your point actually, it's it reminds me very much of um almost like the the silent movie era. They they do a lot yeah. with very little. There's a lot of you know of course you can do this, but the animation for as limited as it it can be certainly for the the time period. Like there's a just the odd nod of the head, or the you know the wave mm. of the hand, or the point of the hand, and and just the way that each frame is set up within the scene. Because really, when you think about this game, it, it's kind of just like Pitfall, right? <laughs> you know, it's mul- multiple screens with lots of depth. And actually, if it was just that and and an art, a great artistic style, I think you know, yes, we'd probably be talking about it with with fun memories. But at the same time, there is this added layer that you know mm. may have not been there. And the fact that it is, and it, and it's done in a way that is somehow charming, even though there's very little um, interaction with you know text or well, there is no text on the screen, and it's just with comments and well just with um, actions speak louder than words kind of it. It just really really reminded me of a silent movie playing it again today, and you know that kind of over exaggerated gesture system. But you know it 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 feels like once again I, I've played many of an indie game over the years that have kind of harkened back to, and, and you can kind of see this as that kind of touchstone point of like, oh, no, you know, this was done many years ago and, and here it is. I think for me, the, the real important moment, the little bond moment between you and the, this, this chap who was also incarcerated with you was when you're basically defending yourself against that, you're backed up against the, a wall uh, and uh, there's no way out. It's like, I'm going to die here. Mm. And then he, there's a little hatch that he opens up and he drops his arm down going and just grabs yeah. you and hoicks you up. That that was really says it all because that's what he was doing throughout, the saving your bacon over and over and over again. And similarly, you saved his as well. I did die there, though, a few times before. Oh, of course we did. That section was teaching you about the gunplay, but we'll talk about it I... I feel like I died on every screen of that game. Yeah, <laughs> like that, pretty that, much. Yeah. That's kind if of my you can die in memory. it, you will die in it. Yeah, mostly. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. If you don't, it's luck. Even to Leon's um, talking about that opening gambit about being in the water and swimming up. If you don't know what you're doing, then just like, oh, yeah. I'm in the water, you get dragged down. Yeah, you do. Screen, yeah, you do. Dragged down and killed. Second, yeah. the, the screen where you stand and go, I want to marvel at the world. Tentacle oh. comes out, 
drags yeah. you back into water and kills you. It's like, what? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get on to that going. later. Yeah. Yeah. Even when, even when uh, you do everything right in that opening section, you still get shot and taken prisoner. So. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that game goes. Yeah. Interestingly, in the original manual, I don't know if this was written by Eric Chahi. I suspect it might have been, but equally it could have been written by a copywriter for Delphine or US Gold or somebody. But they had a uh, excerpt from Lester's journal uh, in which Lester, we actually hear from Lester for the only time, really, um, whether it's canonical or not. Again, I guess it's up to you to decide. But Lester said in his journal, I am now separated from my companion in the escape without whom I could I uh, could certainly not have gotten away. I hope I'll manage to find him. And above all, I hope he is not dead, for I owe him my life. According to Moby Games, Out of This World or Another World was the first game to have cinematic cutscenes. I think citation no. needed on that. I'm thinking, yeah. actually, I mean, cinematic cutscenes is a specific uh, qualifier, but I'm thinking Maniac Mansion arguably had cutscenes that was uh, 1987 or something like that and there were cutscenes in games like Pac-Man and Space Invaders yeah. in between levels Donkey Kong stuff like that so uh, and I think you could find other video games that had sort of segments of animation between action that you could argue were cinematic cutscenes but what I would say is that Another World absolutely helped to start bridge the gap between the likes of fully animated but barely interactive games like Dragon's Lair and Space Ape. Space Ape? Sp that's a better game. Space Ape. Yeah. Yeah. And um, where, where the games were heavy on the animation and the cinema but low on the interactivity or FMV type stuff. Yeah. But this, this started to bridge the gap between gameplay and cinematics in a way that has clearly been massively obviously come on and and, and is now part of almost every kind of yeah of game of a certain type eric chahi himself in retro gamer 2014 said i was influenced by everything i liked at that time this included pictorial art and the movie star wars science fiction books comics and fantasy art also inspired me painters like michael whelan richard corbin and frank frazetta also provided some material for me to draw ideas from he also cited dragon ball as an influence, saying the way it suggests a lot with very little. Huh. Okay. And yes, he uh, he apparently was very disappointed with the cover to his previous game, the the Journey to the Centre of the Earth, I think it was. And so he was absolutely adamant and determined that he would create the cover for his own game, uh, which is why he painted the painting that is familiar, unless you're a yeah, unless you played the Out of This World version in america yeah let's talk about the ingo we've already sort of touched upon it a bit but let's talk about the the overall look of the game the art and the graphics all all done by eric chahi now the amiga was the lead platform and that was a con a, a machine with uh, with a large palette of colors you could have quite a few colors on screen i think it was 32 something like that but he actually um deliberately dialed back on the amount of color and he deliberately chose colors that suggested a certain atmosphere and he deliberately made the backdrops relatively minimalistic and suggestive rather than literal um and again i think for me it's something that actually it it means that the game occupies a place in my mind that 
you know, it, it stands out. It has a, a yeah. real strong identity compared to uh, a lot of sort of games of the era. I, I mean, it, it's one of those things, isn't it, where the less there is to remember, the stronger you can generally remember those things. Mm. And I think that's why those environments are so strongly ingrained. I mean, the first... Well, I mean, if you if you disclude the first screen being obviously being in the water, from the mm. moment that you get out and, and run right, for example, those, I don't think I can ever forget what those screens look like. I mean, it could be because I died so many times on them. <laughs> that be part <laughs> You know, it. It, it, it's obviously part of the experience, but just from a, from a visual appeal perspective, they're absolutely just stunning. And... Also, this is one of the few games where I will actually commend an anniversary edition of it for also staying true to how I saw the original vision. Okay. So I, I, I don't think that this is something that, you know, I, I think we've we've covered probably the 360 era ones where we had filters and stuff that, mm. that really destroyed the, the visual appeal Often, of the game. Yeah. But um, I, I feel like both the original, which, you know, I adore, and by the way, the Amiga version, Still looks really good, um, and and the twentieth anniversary edition, uh, uh, very very appealing games. But the 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 lack of color or the the reduced palette of color, um, and the tonal choices that that they draw from having that is, I found it in a strange word. It sounds bit far-fetched but it genuinely i found it rather mesmerizing as a child mm. and these are the reasons that this game stuck in my head for so many years um you know obviously i was quite artistic i'm from an artistic family i went through i did art at college and you know then i did video game art at university and i've always leaned into that style of things you know the the, the strong visual identities of stuff and for me, I'd never played a game on the Amiga that had such a strong visual identity in something. I mean, there were games that I absolutely adored visually on the Amiga and still do. But there are some, and whether it's the style of game that that flat 2D thing, same reason that I love things like uh, Monkey Island, for example, that, that's sort of that flat 2D left to right. But the reduction in the, you know, the the clutter, for lack of a better term, and the reduced need for fidelity of items such as the towns and the scrolling towns in, in Monkey Island and just having these bold palettes of colour um, and very clear outlines of things like rocks or uh, the semblance of a building in the background mean that I can remember so much of that game screen to screen and relive it in my mind and it stays fresh. And that, I found, was really important in a game that was so brutally difficult because... The way that I learn and play games is if I struggle and I turn it off, I relive those scenarios over and over and again in my head of what I'm going to do differently. And that is quite hard with some games, but with something like this where I can so strongly mem remember things because of the visual style, it allowed me to challenge many of the problems that I encountered when I wasn't playing the game for when I went back into it. Uh, and that was probably the first time I ever experienced that sensation. You know, there are a lot of video game sensations we've actually talked about on the podcast before. You know, obviously the Tetris effect is probably the most well-known one. But actually the, the way that we approach and learn games can differ person to person. 
dependent on our learning style and our application style. Yeah, of course. And mine leans massively in towards all the things that the the style, the the lack of people and th- as I said, clutter that was on the screen and the strong visuals of the environments and the clear outlines of exactly what the environment was allows me to I feel like so much of my game uh, playing of the game was actually not the literal playing of it but actually outside of it and that couldn't have been done if they hadn't done the art style in the way that they did so that's why it was so strong you know you mentioned there um in in the show notes you've got minim, uh, minimalism and suggestion hmm. and it, that they are the big things for me um in what really drove me and inspired me from this game going forwards and I don't know if I would have like this this was such a dawning moment on my young I don't want to use the term career because I've sadly never made a career out of playing games but my in my young love for video games this was such a strong moment for me that that showed me the potential of what what could be done in a, in terms of an art style an application of playing a game so um I I don't know whether I would have stuck with games as strongly in that moment of my youth, if it wasn't for something like this. For me, if I may, there's two things that really struck me about the game visually. There's the animation of the main protagonist, fantastic. I know it's using rotoscoping and stuff like that, and this is done in Prince of Persia, which is a you know a, a game we, that's been fe- featured on Kane Rins. I know, because I was there. Um, but also, <laughs> um, so that's the first thing, that made you feel like you were actually... You were more bonding with this person rather than this strange creature that you couldn't relate to. It was a person walking around almost like very close to a real person. And that made a huge difference. Mm. But the other thing, and it only happens towards the latter part of the game, so you may have been related to the fact that as the developer was getting more and more comfortable with this technology, he started to push it further and further. And rather than going back to earlier parts, added it, and it lifted towards the end was these things happening in the foreground behind you or towards there's this foreground active like the laser shots going from into mm. the screen yeah, yeah. and people yeah. and walking around in the foreground yeah very rarely happen oh yeah um very rare and uh, that though the two things that really struck me about the game field was really really being drawn into this experience one of the many, many reasons why I just kept on going at it despite itself. I have to say, from a gameplay point of view, that confused me because everything else you see on the yeah. screen normally kills you. So the moment the screen starts shooting yeah. the lasers, I was like, I'm about to... No, I'm not dying, okay? No, yeah. no. Just some funky um, animation. For, for me, I think it's it's more basic. So I I love the fact that it has a visual style and presentation and it sticks with that. And, you know, throughout the story, and it's it's clean, it's crisp, uh, as Leon's put down in the notes, it's minimalist, but also it has a colour palette that it sticks to. It's It sells a world that you're entering that you don't really understand, but it also feels futuristic. And I think, you know, for a game at that time, um, to hit any one of those notes is was, you know, quite impressive. But to actually kind of nail a style all to its own and kind of sell a world of environment you know it's almost like watching a star trek program it's like you know this will be the future and you know it's funny seeing it 30 years down the line and going I mean, there weren't that far obviously we don't have the aliens but you know there, there's you know technology there that i can kind of see progressing but it's just the way that it takes that color palette makes it its own 
and still you can come back to this game 30 years down the line and go, yeah, that's another world. Um, you know, there's been other games like that in my own mind that you know, have really, you know, if I think something like um, Mirror's Edge is a, a modern title, like it's just, you know, clean. Yeah, you know, that would almost be like a, a modern version of another world. This kind of clean, fresh um, looking environment that's, you know, quite deadly, you know, deadly uh, lies within. Um, but, you know, more futuristic games, you know, we're talking about Halo earlier, like, you know, Halo for me, like that's a world that I just completely believe in in, in its environment that you land on. So I think it, it really is, you know, looking at it from, you know, many years ago, playing it first time around, but even looking from it now, that it just has this clear, concise world with a colour palette and a kind of real minimalist line structure that just makes sense. And, you know, it made sense back then, but to see it make sense 30 years down the line and and still really kind of tell that story with very little, you know, it's, it's, it's well, fant- one, fantastic to see, but actually just proves how how good of a a, a visual representation it, it had back then inspired by the animation and cell shaded style of the amiga version of dragon's lair char he began to consider whether the storage footprint of such graphics could be <laughs> reduced by rendering them as polygons and pixigons <clears throat> a square polygon equating to a single pixel instead of sprites after prototyping a polygon renderer on the atari st as a proof of concept Chahi went on to write an integrated development environment and runtime for the Amiga with a platform-independent custom scripting language that allowed him to not only write the game logic itself, but also create and animate the game's vector graphics without having to recompile. Thanks to cheesetalks.net. Yeah, he demonstrates this in one of the making of videos where he, yeah, he can essentially go into the game code muck around with the visuals like literally drag and stretch the polygons that are made make up the art and then just run the game again with the new additions instantly without any recompiling or and maybe in modern development tools that kind of thing is probably normal in unity and whatever else i don't know i'm not a developer but back then you would normally have to yeah uh, as i understand it code loads and loads of assembler or machine code or whatever else and wait for the computer to crunch it all up and then then find out if it was going to work or not so yeah he kind of he built his own engine effectively uh in the way that a in that sort of flexible malleable way that a versatile way that a, a solo developer in back in the old days could do uh in the way that uh, i guess a a small indie developer might do now i mean that's the thing these games the obviously the landscape has changed so much this game came out on big labels, Delphine and US Gold and Virgin and things like that. But actually, this was a total kind of indie game project, the the likes of which now you would see released uh, digitally only probably on Steam or something like this. But back then it was, here's a big box. It's a cool game with a, in a big box written by one man, pretty much. And yes, uh, Chris mentioned the rotoscoping as previously discussed on our Prince of Persia show. But yeah, he actually, he rotoscoped a toy car that he used for the, the, the dry, the cool parking <laughs> Lester Knight does at the original, <laughs> but also, uh, also Lester Knight shaking himself has some rotoscoping as well. And, and very much as a throwback to uh, Jordan Mechner, uh, Eric Char, he got his brother to run around in the back garden to, and filmed him and, and used that for, as a basis for the, for the animation. The original game opens with that 
legendary cinematic cutscene, but also some uh, some moody music by Jean-Francois Freitas. Uh, I remember it's uh, obviously it was uh, subject to on the Amiga the uh, the amazing split stereo that everything had on on that uh, platform, and it sounds a little kind of compressed and muffly by today's standards. It's interesting hearing so there's various versions of the soundtrack uh, added or brought to different versions and in some cases kind of totally spun away from the original mood and vibe particularly uh, Andrew Dimitrov's 3DO version which is um, quite something else let's put it that way uh, there's also yeah uh, Charles Deenan's sorry um, interpretation for the SNES's uh, sample driven sound chip and Tommy Tallarico hmm. makes the original soundtrack into something that sounds much more like a traditional 80s sci-fi action movie on the Mega CD. Um, yeah, and obviously, you're, depending on your taste and, and subjective matters, uh, you may like or dislike some of these. The original uh, sound was not especially, the original music was not especially flashy for Amiga music of the era. I remember thinking it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like blowing me away like Chris Hulsbeck on uh, on Turrican or something like that. But it did add to the mood and, and capture the vibe. There's not a, a, really not a whole lot of music throughout the game, but that opening piece helped sell the sell the mood. Yeah. Well, you say that. <laughs> Dep- depends on the platform, because you're right. The original Amiga version didn't have a lot of tunes. But the opening sort of uh, segment was, but uh, the other platforms, especially found the Mega Drive one, didn't shut up. Um, <laughs> in a second, but dear heaven, this is like, and also uh, the the later version, which has got some really uh, much more uh, subtle sound uh, uh, mix design, and uh, yeah, but the Mega's. Uh, <laughs> I said the the. The re-release they did on the Xbox was the one I've been playing most recently. Yeah, right. they do they do have the option there. I think it's Mega CD um, remastered version and yes. the original track. So they they feature all three. And actually, I I was playing through you know sections of the game with each you know each different track put on just to try it. And um, yeah, I, I gotta say I really like the original. There's there's something just a bit more. Well, I and mean, it's a little bit more muffly, but yeah, something that just maybe fits the scene. And, and unlike yeah. Carl, actually, I I think the remaster is fine from a visual point of view. And like, if you're going from a remaster, I, I do understand. But I actually found myself because you can tra- you know press Y and and change you yeah know, within within the current scene. I actually found I I much preferred the the original look um, because it's the remaster is just a little bit soft, a little bit more. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, they 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 colorize it up a bit more, and they, obviously, it's for for modern day standards, it, it makes complete sense. But I think it actually loses a little bit of a charm, like it's almost trying a bit too hard to look like a modern game. And that's not really a criticism; it's just for my own personal style. I found myself actually playing through in the old style versus and with the old music. And that, you know, that's not to say every game like that. You know, the thinking of Monkey Island, I I, I preferred the the more modern graphics. So like, mm. it it can be different. But yeah, just yeah. in this terms, I. Yeah, you know, once again, maybe just how well the music because there's not a lot. Is it like opening track and then end track and a tiny bit in between and with the odd mm. sound effect? There's a lot of just very yeah. quiet screams yes. as you go through, like literally nothing. Mm. Uh, no, no. But the no. sound is phenomenally important in this. 
Mm. Not a lot of the it soundtrack. Is. There's a lot of sound effects, but not yeah, yeah. any Spot music, which is from a, from a modern yeah. take quite weird to play for a, g- yeah. a game with like it, nothing in the background. <laughs> it's quite surreal and spooky, yeah. isn't it? it? It's having that 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 lack of sort of awareness of anything else going on, just that that sense of silence. But for me, that's a, a broad stroke of genuine confidence in mm, what yeah. was actually created 30 yes. years ago. Yeah. And I remember when I played this, even at that age, I remember having the thought that this is European. Like, <laughs> I was just... <laughs> it was... It was so, but it was just... It had that that flair about the art style, that, that confidence in its sound and its score and... Just it knew what it wanted to be, and it didn't pretend to be anything else. It wasn't bombastic. It wasn't, you know, all the bells and whistles and you know explosions and and I mean there is explosions in it, but you know what I mean. It's not that that bombastic nature that games can have. It is just very steely and confident that this is what this is the experience that, like the the creator. Obviously, I wasn't aware at the time, um, but it was like this creator knows what they wanted to make and the people will experience their vision. It's not something that's made for that audience. People will either love it or hate it. And even then, I knew that people wouldn't like it. My dad, for example, ne- he liked the look of it, but he hated it because of the, the delays in the animation, the, the kind of that, that lack of responsiveness, the the brutal deaths. Um I don't think he ever really recovered from like the one fanged uh, <laughs> little worm that that yeah. kills you at the start. Yeah, um, from annoying him. But yeah, it's just that that confidence in the sound see, design. See, for me, um, it's almost is fantastic. It came across as like that he had the budget to create a, a an opening theme, an end theme, and in between he could have had like this instrumental thing, but never like he was using the power of the system on other things and not not yeah. so worried about the. I and that maybe it's way more complex than that, but that that's kind of how it comes. I mean, it works in its favour, but I, I, equally, I could have seen this game with that kind of Tron esque score in the background to sell that kind of more futuristic world, and it it would have been fine. Or maybe the Mega CD version, Chris and tell us, is exactly what that does and is annoying. It's more but... like that, yeah, okay, uh, for sure. <laughs> but the the 3DO version has a very different sounding score. Uh, with um, yeah, it's a kind of it's it's an it's got some odd choices, I would say. Uh, it's more. I think it's going for kind of more contemporary cinematic bombast rather than atmospheric sci-fi synth score. And um, yeah, I, for me, it it doesn't really work. Maybe it does for some people. Sound design-wise, though, yeah, they, I know that um, from what I picked up from some of the making of resources, uh, they actually sort of as again as as more modern games would do, but games often didn't do back then. They set about using proper foley. So. For example, the I, I would say quite memorable sound of enemies crumbling, skeletons crumbling to dust. I think it's some nuts, nutshells or something like that being thrown in, in and around something. They used various actual, like a proper Foley department, real world sounds to put in the game. And I think that's why some of them stand out and, and are quite, even if the sample rates are quite low on the on the original versions, it doesn't just sound like a, a another game with, Eight or sixteen bit sound effects in it's uh, they they actually they use some organic materials let's say very clever choice of the use of nuts and all simple I think it's sort of nuts. sound yeah to, 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 because it's going to be like a low that. yeah it's going to be a low resolution but 
it's such a satisfying sound when it's not you, yeah. of course. Uh, the <laughs> he gets, you know, that's that many, many times I find myself focusing so heavily on my own character. I can only, I'm using the sounds to indicate what's going on because it's like, get the shield up, get the shield up, get the shield up, okay, it's up. Okay. And, and all of that, I mean, you know, the shield is up, not just visually, but principally because you get that, you know, ding sound. And it's just so really breathtaking. Uh, oh, that's another one. Design. The the elevator, the early elevator that you can go yes. up and up and down. Yeah, that's yeah. Apparently, it's recorded from a, I think, a printer or something like that. Yeah, yeah, In the room. Uh, yeah. The only thing I would say is that for all the good foley work, the fist fighting sounds between <laughs> the aliens at the end are absolutely pitiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we don't we don't talk about those. <laughs> <laughs> really, not selling the uh, the seriousness of the situation. Anyway, let's talk more about the actual playing of the game. According to the Awesome Games Wiki, the game combines shooting, platforming, and puzzle solving elements. The game is divided into stages. Some of them are straightforward and can only be accessed one time, while others are connected to each other, constituting a larger environment. Exploration and problem solving are emphasised. Many levels include challenges not seen in the previous ones. Tasks may involve environmental puzzles, timed sequences, precise jumping and combat. Yeah, there's a bit of lots of different kinds of gameplay in here. There's some, yeah, almost almost standard kind of running and gunning and Prince of Persia-esque platforming. But there's also some odd bits where you have to kind of somehow work out that bouncing a grenade off your shield and making it go down a staircase will explode through a hole make a hole on another level of the game yeah uh there's a bit where you have to swim through uh, underground caverns to shoot a thing which switches off the power to something else which then and some of it's really oblique and of its time nothing um Nothing so kind of millions of miles apart that it doesn't make some kind of logical sense. Uh, but some of it is a little like because it is so wordless and there's no, obviously no golden arrow, no, no, nothing telling you where to go next. It's very possible to kill yourself simply by doing things out of sequence. Like literally, if you go left on the first screen and go to the end, that's you dead because you'll break the vine that you need <laughs> for, yep. if, in two minutes time to uh, to escape. But on the flip side... There's one puzzle which I thought is just brilliant, which is the reflected guard in the shiny oh, lamp, lamp yes. puzzle. Fantastic, where, this one. Where you have to, like, I mean, if you don't <laughs> observe and listen carefully, it seems really obscure. But And when you get it, though, it's like, yeah, right, okay, he's down yeah, there. So you cut the you lamp and you yeah, shoot and through this gap head. and it drops on his head. Yeah, you can't. Uh, you kind of have to do it. I think is, is it possible to take him out without doing is it? that. Oh, I, um, I couldn't manage it even on. No, I tried easy. several times to do it, but it's just like, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. You're going to have to do it. That's what they want yeah. you to do. So, yeah. That's what it, yeah. So I've got a question for you, Chris, because I I don't remember this from back in the day. Um, obviously, in the newer versions, you die and you kind of start back in a little bit further back. But in the originals, I mean, if you if you died, what happened? Was did you have a checkpoint? Was did you restart? There is the... a checkpoint system in the original, um, and there is because there code... might have not been <laughs> back then. No, it's yeah, yeah, not yeah. as forgiving as the uh, the newer versions. 
Yeah, I think um, they added more checkpoints. Okay, yeah, well, that's, that's good to know yeah. because you know, yes. I've, I've experienced yeah. games like this where you die and you, off you go back oh, to yeah. start. And um, I can't imagine yeah. getting through some of the parts of this game on just like said, that one coin. I managed to do it earlier today on the Amiga, uh, untouched, unmodified, straight through. And, um, oh, okay. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, of course I died a lot, but I still managed to get it done yeah. in about an so, hour or so, I think it was. It didn't take long. And my yeah. other question is, obviously, playing the 2015 version or 14 version, you know, yeah. the, the frame rate is perfectly fine. How did it? I mean, I've, I've looked at a few Amiga videos and it seems like it's quite dippy in its frame rate. The thing is, Chris's Amiga is souped up to yeah, the max, okay, isn't well, it? Yeah, okay. So, well, does anyone remember how, how well I do. Performed? I do remember. Playing it, it seemed on the like a- it would struggle. It seemed like yeah. it struggled a tad. Playing it on the A500 in 1991, it was a bit stodgy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't. Way. It wasn't unplayable. There was. There were stodgier games. Things that yeah. ran in like full. Uh, obviously, this was a polygon game, but it wasn't like a full three D environment or, or or something like that. But yes, I remember that being an off-putting element, and it was things like the responsiveness of well, trying trying to kick the worms and stuff like that. That's what I was going to say because there's there's some lag, real basically. there's some yeah. real kind of pixel perfect yes. jumping in here, and I was watching yes. someone you know do a do a jump and it, it kind of did that little slight hitch and freeze frame which yes. really confused me watching it but he managed to get through this you know a couple of sections and it was fine because he was just obviously played it multiple times so I was imagining yeah. god that would have been like it's tricky yeah, enough absolutely. with a version that's that's running smooth as it possibly could ever 100% only yeah. only for it to be a slightly jarring experience I don't know yes yeah. it's made yeah. the modern versions make it a lot smoother to play but you will still die dozens of times because yeah. of the, na- the nature of the of the the precision the pixel perfect nature of what it wants you to do in a lot of cases the one that got me dozens of times and as i say i'm still not certain about the the easy difficulty but the the <laughs> corridor where there's the things that hang down the tentacles that hang down and oh. the and the snappy things on the floor yeah like you have yes. to be in exactly the right position you to do. get through it, there it, it, it's down there with jet set willy uh, in my in my viewers regards to platforming on that section and it got yeah. to the point where i just had to memorize when to hit the button absolutely it was that yeah so, so obviously we, we've alluded to, if someone's not played this game, this game is relatively hard, but not in that sense of like, oh my God, it's, you know, I don't understand. It's too challenging. Like the boss keeps killing me. It's more of a case of each screen has a set of obstacles yeah. and you need to get through. But it, it in a way that you can make it even harder for yourself. So I remember, you know, jumping this um, before and not realizing you could stomp on those worm things at the very start of the game oh. and trying to jump over each one oh multiple goodness. times, oh, which in theory you can do. Like in, it's <sighs> yeah. odd. The game allows you to do it only by the end to be faced with the guy that chase, chases you. And obviously yeah. then you have to jump back. And if you, you know, I did this multiple times of trying to get back through there, <laughs> realizing that obviously you then got to jump whilst being chased. Like, I believe it's possible, but also huh. you know, oh. the, the the right way is just to stomp on these things. But if you don't read that manual, you may have just completely missed That's it. You have to do those things. I, I always jumped over them. Always. Yeah, you can kick them. No, I know. I, I was aware of the kicking, but I just wanted to get out. Because the reason being is I knew what was coming. Yeah, okay. I wanted to practice yeah. jumping over them to get to the end. And also, if you mess up it. the kicking, they will just sting yeah. you in the knee and you'll exactly, die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. I did. I did try kicking, but it's but just it, like, well, it's not really training me to do the latter. But bit, from so. the game's point of view, though, when you first play it, you do just move to the right and think, "Oh, worm, 
thing. Oh, you kind of know that it's probably bad, but you know, it kills you, insta kills you. And then it's like, okay, well, I need to obviously avoid. But every scream seems to be exactly that. I mean, it's a game of its era, but every scream seems to be out that, okay, well, this is a route, your next scream, if you survived here. You know, the next screen will be a guy yeah. will come out, a, a guard will come out and fire a, a, a laser beam across here. And if you've not ducked, you'll die. Often and from, but yeah, like I the, think there's also something else that really bothers me about, about these, the design of the layout is um, uh, it's a common phenomena of the era for point and click adventure games uh, as a dead man walking. So basically, you've done a thing, yeah, but it turns out you can't progress, yeah, even yeah. though you're still yeah. alive. Yes, you've done a thing. You failed to do a thing. Probably need to die now. Yeah, you know, and that that does happen quite a lot in this game if you don't know what you're doing. But it, to, uh, I mean, Carl saying that story early, like it, it, it does allow you to go right. So now I just need to go past these worms. Yeah. Then I need to go on this right screen. There will be a guy coming from the right. I need to shoot him. Move on. Progress. There will. I need to put a shield up here because yeah. So there is a you know this. I mean, technically, well, there's a speed run out there that is just insane watching but then there's always mm-hmm. a speed run out there mm-hmm. that's just insane but you know if if you know the game i think this game can be completed in half an hour if you just know what you're doing but you know my experience is you know you could spend multiple hours i mean my earlier experience with played this game i never actually finished it so you could spend more than that but you know i think for the average person if you weren't following a guide it, it you know it's multiple hours of game for a, essentially what could be just an half an hour experience if you know what you're doing. Um, oh, for most of this panel, multiple years. Yeah, but really it's, definitely. but it, you know, <laughs> to me, that's like it, it could, it can either be breed frustration. And there was times in this game which I was frustrated because it was like, okay, well, I have to do that hard section of screen I just barely got through and the checkpoint is beyond there. But also it's that almost like a um, Metrovania kind of thing. It's like, well, I know how to go the way back here i know how to get back here and i've got this kind of not necessarily new toy i know how to actually get through here because it's you know it's imprinted in my memory and as you were saying earlier carl like the screens are so iconic almost each and every one because they're simplistic enough you're like okay yeah here 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 perfect jump shoot shoot down there and then when you finally do die the next time realize you've got that that checkpointed point beyond there is that kind of little mini fist to the right I can leave that behind me now and, and reset my mind space for, for the next day. Hence why I was asking, what was the original game design? Like, did it, how was the, the checkpointing system back then? Because I think that's incredibly important in, in a kind of my modern day era take on how to play this game. But yeah, anyway, I mean, it, it was never, uh, it, it, and it still isn't uh, a Trials HD or Super Meat Boy instant restart situation. No. You don't just get to do the exact, you know, it, it's not like you're, your progress is screen yeah. is not saved all the time, so you do have to redo some things. Uh, but yes, I found it as I said at the start. The re- reason I never finished it was a combination of that and mm-hmm. the sticky controls on the Amiga five hundred and the disc access of the original version. A lot of which is softened by playing the modern version. Yeah, but I obviously the the wow factor is uh, is is arguably diminished, although it's still a very interesting experience for sure. And of course, the Amiga version suffered from the up for jump syndrome. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to say this is yeah. um, this is a one button game, um, pretty it much. Is. Although it can be a two. I, I guess the Mega Drive version maybe and beyond and beyond in, introduced a second button. Um, but yeah, the original version essentially your button did uh, the uh, holding uh, well, 
press it to fire, hold it down for a shield and hold it down longer for a super shot when you when you get it. Uh, and actually that plays into the gameplay in itself. The fact that you have to wait for that to power up the shield and the super shot is kind of part of the, the combat puzzle action. But yes, um, up to jump, old school style. Uh, again, not, not an issue on, on the modern versions, thankfully. Huge... Uh, aspect of the game that was remarkable at the time and again I doubt it was the first I'm sure we could come up with examples but it stood out was the fact that the game has no heads-up display no on-screen information no health bars no map no inventory and very few words whatsoever I remember when Eco came out uh, and I understand that um, this was cited as an influence on Eco how much of that stuff was kind of highlighted as as something that was unusual and remarkable about it. We've seen it more and more since Eco, but it seemed to take the 10 years between Another World and Eco for the idea to really catch yeah. on. Um, and obviously, I think that the two games that really, and I, I don't know if, uh, is it Playdead, have ever actually cited Another World as an influence, but Limbo and Inside are so much for me direct spiritual successors to yeah. another world well it, just uh, inside especially um i i definitely like between the two games i think many people know i wasn't that much of a fan of limbo but i adored inside and i adored i adored inside because it felt mm. and it if it, it, it it didn't feel like this in the in the literal sense because mm. uh, I don't necessarily think you'd you'd get away with that to this point. But there was well, Limbo kind of did in that it killed you on every yeah. screen before you knew what was yeah. going to happen. Almost, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's that's very true. Um, in terms of the atmosphere, I think yes. the atmosphere, yeah. the visual appeal of Inside definitely leans more into the things that I love about Another World, and it, again, that's why. Inside is one of my favourite, mm. um, you know, we use the term so freely now, so I'll use it again, like indie titles um, in, in recent years because of its art design and environment. Um, it, it does, it, it reeks of another world for, in terms of a basis for influence in video games. But at yeah, the time it was, uh, it was a, obviously you didn't need a health bar or anything because you die anytime anything touches you um but yeah no inventory you pick up a gun right near the start and that's your inventory for the entire game yep. i don't remember i assume in the original amiga and mega drive manuals it actually told you about the charge for shield and and charge shots but yes but um definitely does in the mega drive right but actually like i know the, the irony is of course these days People are often bemoaning and, and, you know, harking back to the magical time when we all had manuals. And yes, we all have fond memories of reading the manual on the bus on the way home <laughs> from buying the game. But actually, a lot of the time we didn't look at the manual. We just played the game <laughs> like um, so sometimes we would figure this stuff out by ourselves. But uh, only, yeah, yeah, the only hard like thing, barely hard thing, mm. but. I think on the gun it's got a little light that tells you when it's running out of charge. I'm not entirely sure. Oh yeah, I think it does. I think that's it's a very little... prescient of things yeah, like yeah. Um, thinking about Dead Space, like 2008, when we were all wowed by the fact that the the health bar was part of the suit, that kind of thing. So yeah, that sort of um, diegetic uh, HUD 
where it's actually it's not a separate entity that floats around on the screen that takes us out of the experience. And I think I, I, I'm thinking for the likes of particularly the likes of Carl, who was absolutely you know, obviously we all were to an extent, but Carl's youthful imagination was completely taken away this game by this game. Yeah. I have to think that if it had been a more traditional game with maybe, you know, black borders around the edge and the title on the bottom of the screen and a score thing on the top right and a health bar on the top left, maybe it wouldn't have had quite the same profound effect as filling the screen with the entire, like the game is there. Um, I suspect it was probably, Chris, you played it on the Amiga today. Is it one of those that exists actually in the corner of the screen rather than the whole screen? Um, no, it takes, it, took, it took it all up. It's a power, this, uh, right yeah. a proper proper power game that fills yeah, the whole yeah. screen. So that threw it up on the screen. It's lovely. yeah. So it so the just, whole thing just like kind of yeah. you know sucks you into it's it's another world. Yeah, yeah, fabulous stuff. And uh, yeah, I, you can't play uh, downplay this at all. The fact that, that there is no actual figures or in uh, well health, nothing, nothing at all. Fabulous stuff. Really good. <laughs> Super user from the forum says, I played this game because I was in the Linux gaming community at the time, where Cheeseness, who was later hired for the port, was a well-known figure. I recommend to the hosts, that's us, and anyone interested to read his well-drawn thoughts on the game, along with his interview with Eric Chahi. I think that may be the thing I quoted from earlier, the Cheese site. Uh, I'm guessing that's a relation. Apologies if not, I don't know. Uh, I bought it, continues Superuser, to help out my pal and because it looked interesting with no real knowledge of its history. It was interesting for sure, and its atmosphere is still quite unique. I think the tech behind it is at least as interesting as the game, but importantly, the vector art was used to great effect to illustrate its bizarre but quiet world. One might even call it the Dark Souls of the 90s, with how cryptic it is, <laughs> while also hinting at a larger world. I would slam the game for its obscure puzzles, and would have hated it if I'd had it in the 90s, but with modern game guides, this is not an issue. It's ultimately a short experience that falters in the second half and should be enjoyed with a guide. Jobo Bonobo says, I remember trying this out on a Mega Drive emulator ages ago. I was impressed with the graphics, especially for 1991, but repeatedly dying due to the very stiff controls was very aggravating for me. I kept dying at or just after the little worm creature at the very beginning. <laughs> I admit it <laughs> may be that I am not uh, just not used to Prince of Persia style cinematic platformers, but the previously mentioned impressive graphics began to lose their sheen when you go through the same death cutscene again and again. Just bounced off of this one. Pity, really, because I do admire the ambition of what they were going for here. Clearly, he didn't uh, kick the worms. Never mind. Yeah. Another game that I was that was brought to mind as I finally played the the final couple of screens of Another World were was um, well, I mean actually this has been done quite a lot in recent times uh, the way of of selling to the player the fact that the the protagonist your avatar has been through the mill thinking of Metal Gear Solid 4's famous microwave uh -huh. tunnel or the bit in Journey where the the, the storm the the snowstorm gets too much for you and you nearly die uh, and various other kind of yeah situations where you're you end up kind of pushing your character at a crawl again one might think this is a, a modern innovation but actually here towards the end right at the end of um, another world Lester gets absolutely battered gets dropped 
and uh, and then grabbed and then beaten up and is by the end literally your controls are reduced to him crawling across the floor um and uh eric chahi said at gdc in 2011 at the end of development i was exhausted and this is probably the reason lester was almost dying in the end <laughs> it's it's not it is not my favorite scene far from it it's a it's a not anticlimax. i do like the, the sort of you know fluff at the end it's fantastic but it's the bit for me the one jarring point that really goes against every the rest of the game experience it mm. feel it's 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 contextually right but it's like it's like one good about to talk about is the bit in the arena where you're suddenly in this big tank thing <laughs> and you come driving oh, yeah. into the middle of the arena and it's then a weird bit. hammering the buttons all, hammering the buttons in the top right hand <laughs> corner and it's like what do you just, just just press the button and you could any button you start ha- randomly hammering and there's one big one starts flashing in the middle and you just jab it and then you, the escape pod comes flying it's just so and then odd you land in a, in a brothel you do you <laughs> land well, in, well, a, yeah. in a brothel like a steam bath actually but i, I don't is, know yeah either way no who knows not in the who, knows? who knows what goes on sometimes <laughs> these are the same places um, yes but I, I quite like that scene because it, it made me laugh as this kind of almost comic it's like <laughs> yeah. a, a action scene patter to it and then the fact that you land in that kind of bathhouse actually kind of um it's one of the only bits that sells the idea of the world as being a bit larger than just this kind of weird austere slave arena i mean there's the obviously that's the coliseum you you end up in the coliseum as well um where presume maybe that's why they were capturing the likes of you and uh and the other alien just to to fight for their pleasure in in the same way that the romans did i'm not sure some original storyboards drawn up during the game's initial development reveal an unmade ending, though, in which Lester Chaikin survives and becomes a leader of the alien world. These storyboards can be viewed at the game's official site, which is anotherworld.fr for France. Thanks to Moby Games. I just noticed, uh, looking at the trophies, which I assume are the same ones as on Steam and Xbox, these are the PlayStation ones, there's actually only two that I've got to get. And I think uh, it's a relatively interesting set. It's not loads of them. Some of them are just, uh, they're, they're going to trigger as you progress, like picking up the gun and, and things like that. But there's a, there's a few interesting ones, including a couple that I haven't got. Uh, there's one around that scene, which is, is called, is it meant to be Espacit or Espacit? Uh, if you wait after escaping from the prison cage and then pick up the gun if you just wait a, for a minute a mini ufo will appear it does yeah oh, okay <laughs> of course you've got the tro the agenda <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah random i didn't know about that <laughs> does it one. shoot at you or something or i believe it comes and collects you <laughs> oh right yeah, i think it does it was it in the original or is this an addition I don't know. I just did it for the for the achievement. Yeah, I don't reckon, I don't remember it. I'll have to try it now. Yeah, right. just stand yeah. there. Yeah, just stand I do there. like a hidden UFO in a game. Yeah, I, it's just I did like that gun pick up bit actually. Animations. It's a major like this. This is your inventory. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah, so that's a that's one of the motion captured scenes. Uh, he shows off Eric Chahi shows off the the prop that, uh, and it's basically just some some paper and cardboard 
It's uh, it's not yeah. a, even a even a toy gun. He just wanted yeah. to make the shape that he wanted to make. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's uh, unlike the toy car, which was a pre-made toy car. He didn't carve that one himself out of balsa wood or something. The only mm-hmm. other trophy I don't have is the it's one called Clint would be proud, which is where you shoot an alien before they shoot at you. Which um, Ooh, yeah. I can't believe I didn't get that one just in the run of play. Yeah, you yeah. can shoot through basically into the other screen without realising, I believe. Ah. Yes, you can. Yeah, mm. that yeah. is possible. That's a lovely, uh, another aspect of the game that, you know, not each screen is in its own mm. entity. There are things happening beyond it which you can interact with. Again, yeah. another unique aspect of the game. I know other titles had it. I was going to say, of, not unique, but, uh, but, but, it's but not remarkable, of its, remarkable for its time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, even though we've all now beaten this game uh, at least once, as we've talked about, uh, you can, yeah, Chris, you were saying you got through the the Amiga version, albeit on a souped-up Amiga, but um, yeah, playing at a sensible pace it, but, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in about an hour. It might take you a bit longer if you'd been <laughs> loading it from floppy every time you from died. Floppy, yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah. Um, the world records are quite something. There's some good speedrun mm. videos out there. Uh, there's one that I found that's eight minutes and three seconds, but that is no longer the world record. The world record is on the, uh, I think this is the, there's a, there's a few categories as always, but on the 20th anniversary edition on the PC, it is possible to beat the game. Well, Retro Brando has done it in seven minutes and 48 seconds. Yep, I watched that one. It's staggering. Is that and that's not glitched, right? Uh, oh. He uses a he uses a glitch to back up through the beam doors. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. yeah, I wonder what the I wonder what the no no glitch time is possible because yeah, there are certain mm-hmm. bits which will take you a little while. Just like swimming through those tunnels is obviously going to take a few oh. seconds, regardless. Yeah, um, there is situations where people just like bulldoze their way through stuff and actually completely skip sections because you can actually just shoot things away anyway like for example when you go to the top of the roof and shoot down the lampshade on top of the fellow yeah we talked about it earlier in the show you yeah. can just ignore that and just shoot him if you if you're good enough uh, you're good i enough. tried it if i tried it it's just no yeah. no yeah because every screen is set isn't it so you're yeah. always yeah. going to get the the bad guy come from the right or left at a certain point, yes. you're always going to have the work. I suppose, depending when you enter the screen and how fast you jump or interact with the things in there, they're always going to be. Yeah. So you can pick some variants. Count pretty much. So it must be some. Yeah. That's an interesting point, though, because I was ne- I'm, I've never been 100% certain if there's any. I know there are some bits where enemies just will keep on coming if you don't do the thing that you need to progress. So enemies will just keep appearing at the side of the screen unless you like jump out the screen, drop down mm. the, the, the appropriate hole or whatever. So, but I don't know. Yeah. Sort of how much if, yeah, I don't know if there's any real RNG in the entire game as such. It's pretty much a set of set pieces, isn't it? In, in, in the same way that something like dragon's Lair was, but with uh, a more or, organic or analog level of interactivity. Yeah. <laughs> I can I can honestly say it doesn't always feel like that. I certainly it seems weird when you say get into a gun battle in this, but it it does mm. happen because it, it doesn't does. really feel, oh, doesn't feel it like does. a game that should have the phrase into a gun battle in it. But it you know they exist in the way that 
you have to put up a shield. You know, if one of your options is to have a shield and then you can fire through that or take down your shield and then fire mm. through that. You know, and there's certain it feels like there's certain parts of the game where you have to do those things so you can kind of get yourself and kill enough people to progress through a certain screen. And then in some regards, it feels a little at odds with other things that happen. Like it, you know, at one stage it's a platform, and next minute it almost feels like a quite a heavy combat <laughs> scenario. And mm. sometimes it can be a little jarring because you know you one shot and you're dead. Um, and it's once as as we know, this this game's a lot of one and you're dead. So just working out, okay, I need to put a shield up here to pro- progress through there. But I mean, speedrunners, they you know that that stuff doesn't phase them whatsoever. They just throw a shield down and then push through, and you know. I, you know, I I found myself trying to push my gun through the the shields half the time, shoot ahead, you know, break down their shields and do that. And you can do that, but you know, watching speed runs, they do it so fast that it's incredible. It's, yeah, it's mind boggling. Yeah. But I just like I did like it though. I mean, it, the the fact towards towards the end, there was four enemies you had to take out. This is after you 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 landed in the um the the, the steam bath thing, and you go running in, and there's this four. You got to take four of them out. It's, it has to be four, and. Uh, it's quite, it, it, the game up until that point had been training you to use your gun in a tactical way. Uh, and uh, it's quite extraordinary for an adventure game to go into this level of depth on the combat. But it, it, it really, really did. And I just really got into using the shield, recharging the shields, maybe doing two or three of them if you can get away with it, then blasting theirs. And just you're edging closer and closer. There's this extraordinary tactical play between the... So you were talking about the 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 uh, enemy AI and how they were just um, doing RNG. No, they're not. They are genuinely reacting to what you're doing, and they do actually have a, a, like a pattern in that they will do use a tactic which uses relies on the shields. Yeah, and also defense. yeah, a lot. Yeah, a lot. And also they would react to if they had grenades on them as rolling grenades. You'd put a shield up. They just lob a grenade at you. Like your shield can't bounce that off, and uh, that that there's that's just wonderful uh, interaction. So yes, it was frustrating for me sometimes. Like oh god, I've got to face this mob again, but um, I still actually found it quite enjoyable. What brought what it brought to mind to me those gun battles as much as anything. And yes, I, I would agree there was a kind of a fun sort of Star Warsy laser battle down a corridor kind of thing going on. But actually, the thing that I kept thinking about as we got closer and closer to one another was the police squad or naked gun scenario of the uh, two guys behind dustbins that are four feet apart shooting over the top of each other (laughs) blue weasel breath says from our forum i got this game for christmas a few years after it came out a seemingly arbitrary pick by my parents i'd never heard of it but it looked neat even if the main character was off-puttingly ugly to me at the time I remember popping it into my SNES and playing the first few levels while my uncle watched and cracked jokes. He had me convinced for years that my alien buddy was saying, let's rumble (laughs) when I broke him out, (laughs) even though it doesn't sound much like that. It took a few years of getting stuck and printing off Internet walkthroughs before I finally made it through. And by the time I got to the end, I wasn't ready for it to be over. If you dig this game, it's worth watching a playthrough of the sequel, Heart of the Alien which certainly looks the part, although it seems to disappoint on both the gameplay and narrative fronts. Any super fans, Carl, of... Uh, I, I, I don't think you ever had a Mega CD, did you? Uh, no, I never did. So, but you must have been, as a big fan of Another World, like, curious to play Heart of the Alien. Have you 
found a way? Have you just watched it or? And I never have. I feel like, yes, I was interested in it and it felt like it was this. Sometimes there's the excitement that you have of being able to see stuff kind of over the fence, but you can't have it. And that's what the Mega CD always was for me. Um, obviously, I had a, a Japanese import M- Mega Drive, which made these things a lot more difficult and um, to, to sort out the things like hardware. And I, I, it was always one of these things, I'll get round to it eventually. I, you know, I followed it all when it was. It had press coverage. I've watched a playthrough of it. You know, I, I've read about it. I've read stories about the development of it, but I've never played it. Um, it feels... I feel like I can, even though it it it's like a sequel, I feel like I can detach it from the main product in the same way that, you know, I can separate things like Flashback and Fade to Black and, you know, keep all these kinds of things a little bit separate and enjoy another world as its own thing um, entirely. And I feel like so much time's gone by, I've, whilst I still love another world, my time for Heart of the Alien has kind of passed, almost. Like, I acknowledge it for what it was. It was always something that I wanted and couldn't have. And I quite like it being that way yeah. in, a, in, a, in a strange Plus, way. Plus, as it's not an Eric Chahi product, it is yeah. arguably or possibly officially non-canon. Interestingly, it was uh, designed and directed by Jeremy S. Barnes, who is the president of the company responsible for one of your modern favourite games, Marvel Puzzle Quest. So there is a connection there. <laughs> uh, there we go. Yeah, I mean, it, the Sega CD version has some um, some cover art <laughs> that, <laughs> that is worth checking out. Uh, it doesn't really sell the uh, the experience in in the way that one might have hoped. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, any curiosity, Chris or Tony, the heart of the alien, the the sequel to Another World? I'm I'm very curious. Um, it's not something I was familiar with because I'd made the mistake of thinking another game was a sequel. We all know we won't talk about Many it. Many did, but, um, but yeah, yeah, for absolutely uh, no good reason whatsoever. Other no than good, it's no French. good reason. <laughs> it's French and same same developer. I'm like there you go. Uh, but it's technically it was a follow up. But I'm not going to mention its name. We all know what it is. We've, co- want... we've, co- we've covered flashback in another Yeah, show. you see, Leon said it, not me. Um, but um, no, I'm fascinated. I do have a Mega CD. Was I it only ever released on Mega CD? Is that, that it? Yep. Wow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, okay. I, mean, uh, I'm, I mean, I am intrigued. I'm not sure I have uh, another world on Mega CD. I only got it on cartridge. Uh, but I'll have yeah. a look. In my North America CD only, there. Sega CD only. Ah, there you now go. Your audience. That's why Sorry. I don't have it. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Right. Okay. So that's 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 the reason why. But no, I, I mean, have having have you watched a playthrough of it? Is it? No, I it, haven't. I mean, no, does it no. does it do a good job of capturing the essence of the first game of Another World? Or the fans say no. Okay. <laughs> as a as a as a you know, I'm not saying I'm not a fan. Obviously, I'm I'm interested as I am with lots of games. But as a Another World casual. Uh, I was, yeah, I was curious enough to see it, but I can, yeah, you can, it's just got that feeling of, uh, it, it would be unfair to like say it was a straight to DVD sequel, although ironically it was a straight to CD sequel, <laughs> but, um, but it, it's got that thing of like, you know, if you know that the original creator, uh, apparently he, there is some 
suggestion that he was partially involved with some of the inception of the project. But Eric Chahi essentially did not make this game and therefore it was an interplay game. So it's uh, it's a it's a US developed um Virgin Interactive game by Interplay for the Sega C D that happens to follow up on and I yeah, I guess, I mean I guess it shows how uh successful the um the original had been for them on the Mega Drive, the fact that they wanted to make this. But the fact that it only came out in America uh and is yeah, fairly ill fated platform. Yeah. Yeah. It <laughs> yeah. suggests that it was not that big a deal. I, I imagine it, it's collectible. It, it it's the dodgy CD spin-off, isn't it? It's the the CDI Zeldas to the oh, iconic oh, originals. Oh boy! Oh, wow, that that's might like, be too harsh. That's, I don't that's know. a little bit harsh. <laughs> 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 Come on! Oh, oh. By any standard, that is harsh. <laughs> that's, that's grim. I played those. Oh, sorry, correction. Been exposed to those, and yeah, no, no, no. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, according to Moby Games. Many fans do not consider the contentious events contained in this sequel as part of the series' canon. But contrary to popular belief, Eric Chahi, the original designer of Another World, was actually involved to some extent in the initial development of the game. Here's what he had to say about it. Interplay insisted on making the sequel in order to make the most of the CD-ROM medium's capabilities. After discussion, I agreed. Rather than making a chronological development related to the first story, I decided that redesigning the game from the alien point of view was excellent and would make the player discover another world with other eyes. I could already picture scenes where Lester would be in the background fighting guards while the player would control the alien in the foreground and then join our first hero and help him, etc. The concept was good, but alas, neither the animations nor the game, entirely developed by Interplay, were up to the job. It was a flop. So they were going for a Back to the Future Part 2 kind of situation, which actually does sound fascinating. Going back to uh, back to a, a events of, of a previous game from a different perspective. I'm trying. That sounds like something we've had recently in the world of gaming, but I can't think what. Um, there's Half-Life and Blue Shift, isn't there? The yeah, that's a, that's a good example. Yeah. Yeah, but that's not very recent, of course. No, not that recent. <laughs> but, no. um, yeah. But yeah, cool idea, but he clearly wasn't happy with the development or the final product. So, so it really wasn't a sequel. It's just like, uh, this is what's happening with the other kind of, yeah. Before he was punched in the face repeatedly. Yeah. Or should it, see, should it be gently slapped? <laughs> <laughs> As uh, mentioned earlier, this was uh, according to an issue of the official US PlayStation magazine, Fumito Ueda, designer of Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. And The Last Guardian cited Another World as an influence for Eco. Other games I was, it, it, we already mentioned Metal Gear Solid 4. Um, mm -hmm. Metal Gear Solid as well was um, certainly trying to, in 1998, 97, 98, uh, was going for cinematic ideals, I think, in many ways. Mm -hmm. Certainly, the you know, the opening credit sequence and again, the lack of, HUD uh, being present a lot of the time and things like that. Um, one uh, one thing that struck me about Another World, even though it's not really, you wouldn't really call it a horror game, it does have some a set of unique and gnarly deaths, which made me think of all those animations that you would get in games like Resident Evil, 
the based on the different creatures that had killed you or indeed tomb raider the 2013 reboot series yeah. where famously you can murder or <laughs> kill lara in any number of uh grisly ways with with cutscenes to match uh half-life well we've mentioned it a few times but of course the scenario is really very similar <laughs> to half-life the difference being that well, I, I suppose in Half Life, ultimately you end up on the Another World, but uh, Half Life, you bring the you bring the alien dimension to your lab rather than taking your lab to the alien dimension. But scenario wise, yeah, it's almost the same. You're a physicist, right? Then there's tentacle monsters from the ceiling. Tentacle all monsters from the ceiling. Yeah, <laughs> head crabs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Limbo and inside, we mentioned, no doubt. And yeah, just uh, while again, I wouldn't necessarily cite it would be a direct influence, but the sort of the the feel of No Man's Sky, that kind of uh, the feel of being in a game that has the look of a 70s sci-fi book cover, yeah. that kind of yeah. sensation. Yeah, the, the pastel colours, this is fine. And uh, but yeah, I don't think the game, I think I still think No Man's Sky is a is a natural progression for mercenary, but that's a discussion for another time. Well, for sure, for <laughs> sure. Uh, Attack the Block, the movie, the Joe Cornish film, we talked about this uh, because he himself said that the monsters in Attack the Block were very much designed off of the cabinet art from the original Space Invaders. But I know Joe Cornish was a, was a, a keen gamer as a, as a youngster, and I do. what The actual... The actual uh, form factor of the monsters in the film attack the block are very very close to the big monster in another world also jet black yeah yeah there's lots of eyes and teeth great i like the scene in another world that i'd never seen before because i'd never beaten the game before and i've never got to the latter stages where you release oh, yes on, on your enemies that cause chaos utter chaos yeah. great yeah there's a, an Eiffel 65 song called My Console, which specifically references Another World. I don't know where Eiffel 65 are from. Are they French? I don't know. Because I'm wondering if they're American, they might have referenced Out of This World. So, one last thing to cover off. There was a Kickstarter for a book, which looked really nice. Welcome to Another World, it was called. This ran in 2015. And it failed to hit its target. They wanted Aww. to raise a mere, by these standards, £29,848. And there was not that much interest. £8,810. 206 backers were all they could find. That's a shame. Yeah. Maybe. So sometimes I wish I was a millionaire. I'd just be like, yeah, done. Yeah, I was wondering <laughs> yeah. if you'd, you'd actually been one of those 206 at the time. Dude, I genuinely wasn't right. aware of this. If I was, I would have backed yeah, it. I would, I, yeah. 100% I would I have I wonder backed. if I it was yeah. lack of ad advertising rather yeah. than lack of interest, possibly. I always feel that Kickstarter has that problem. Mm. I, generally, my awareness of anything on Kickstarter stems from someone on my friends list tweeting about yeah. it yeah there's there's a one recently there's um an xbox book that's right. all about the original xbox xbox done by a pod, uh, a website called xbox era and they mm. they got funding of like thirty 
thousand no really quickly but it's just it it's one of those ones mm. where multiple people retweeted it so yeah. that lots of bit like in a modern yeah 2015 is or if you get a new era, story a on modern Kotaku era, or Eurogamer, yeah. like, like it i think it's trying to get that word of mouth out there isn't it where people will see this stuff yeah but it's kind of surprising even so because you would have thought the the community around this game and i was also struck by the fact that and I know it's been re-released multiple times and, and it's available in other places, but the fact there are only 1,200 Steam reviews, for example, is a pretty low number mm. for a, such a legendary game. And it does feel like maybe it's partly because so many of the things Another World did have been kind of taken on by so many other modern Possibly, titles yeah. that it feels like it's, yeah. I mean, the fact that they keep releasing it, it came out on the Switch as recently as 2018, suggests that some people are still willing to buy it. I think they tend to sell it for quite low money i can't remember what i paid for it but i think it was probably like four pounds or something like that it's, it's an iconic probably, game probably that's why you know it's one of those probably ones 60 pounds on switch right <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, i remember buying yeah. it on sale um but uh yeah i think i mean it might be a case of just the the now more established retro gaming publishers that now exist like bitmap books might mm. be able to pick something up so um yeah i might have to make some inquiries see if they're actually doing something if not why aren't they yeah, it'd be cool. Uh, it's a, it's yeah. it's a show because obviously when we covered Prince of Persia, there was already you know, there's you know, there's multiple there's books about it, makings of, and all all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And while but, there's there's some good resources for this, but a book would be nice. But I, and then again, if you talk about Prince of Persia, like that's a an IP that has continued on into modern day. Like another world seems to have happened. Obviously, it's quite a one and know, a half iconic, and done. Yeah, yeah, iconic title. But you know, it's it is set within its, yeah. its time frame. If you're not it's into hell- that, then that's it. Yeah. It's difficult to know how one would do a sequel to this now. It would be you know? quite different. <laughs> right. You could either go full, like, you know, turn it into something extravagant, or you could just stick with the the original the design. And, yeah. yeah, and just mm. say, okay, we'll just, we'll just make another. Let's see what happens after he, get, he flies off into the sunset with his friend. So, yeah. Or, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it, it, it would be interesting. I could imagine, I could foresee a scenario. It could either be like... Uh, uh, Beyond Good and Evil 2, where it just becomes vaporware. <laughs> or it could be a scenario like Shenmue 3, where everyone gets what they wanted and then they play and it and realise that they yeah. didn't actually want that after all. Yeah. So. <laughs> people, yeah, only know what they don't want. Are you saying the game, gamers are people? <laughs> yeah, really? No. We also have some three word reviews. Follow us on Twitter and elsewhere the likes of Instagram, at Canaan Ritz. Chris? Yes, the first one is from uh, Joe Bonobo, a name I can actually stop not saying, keep on going, Bonobo, Bonobo. And he says, or they say, I should say, interesting but aggravating. Blue Weasel Breath, but ugly protagonist. No, Jason, only Zool says, where to next? Super user says, Vector Art Showcase. T-Bird says, early cinematic success. Thank you, one and all. We actually had several more, but for some reason, <laughs> the another word, three word reviews are all really sweary. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we could have censored them. But... Is it because it's difficulty? Is that what they were based around? I think so. Yeah. Uh, and and general mm. obscurity and things like that. I mean, I'm not the greatest video gamer and I got through it twice today. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's not that hard. 
Yeah, Plus get good. Get That's good. what Chris is saying. <laughs> yeah. It isn't. I genuinely don't think it's that <laughs> difficult compared to other games it's, of similar it's, ilk. It, yeah, if you're willing to persist, it's a you will get through it eventually yeah. by dying and learning. But if if you can't be, if you can't, you can't be, bothered be bothered to do the then dying by learning, just watch. Thing. Just well, coming to my summary. Uh, in fact, yeah. <laughs> we're bleeding into it. Uh, yeah, so it took me. 30 years to get around to finishing it obviously i wasn't playing it for most of that time i played it for probably i probably owned it for a year or two back in the amiga days maybe more kept hold of it until i didn't having got bogged down with that quite lengthy and frustrating insta death section in the middle uh and yes this game is uh, a sequence a, a sequence of insta death sequences that you must learn and die and retry and that's being incredibly reductive because there's so much about this game, which, as you've heard, although it ne wasn't necessarily the absolute first, as often the most obvious examples of these things isn't, uh, it was certainly one of the pioneers of a lot of modern things in games that most people are very excited about. Uh, a lot of them seem to re-arrive sort of 10 years later. Um, or at least in the late 90s and early 2000s, some of the ideas of cinematics and lack of HUD and, and uh, in-engine in cutscenes and all this kind of stuff seem to really take off sometime. So from that point of view, Another World was arguably very much ahead of its time, but fulfilled a really important role in bringing the kind of uh, marrying the cinematics that uh, that we many of us enjoy in, in modern games, but uh, but taking the experience beyond the extremely limited interactivity of FMV games uh, and even yeah the likes of Laserdisc games like Dragon's Lair and stuff like that. So um, yeah, a, a really distinctive style and a memorable scenario and story, but, and there is a big but, I don't think I didn't find it especially fun to play in 2021. You can pick it up for cheap. It's possibly one of those games that you might have ended up in your digital library in a Steam sale or a giveaway or something. Um, obviously, it runs very well on anything. And the 15th and 20th anniversary editions actually smooth over a lot of the issues of the original game. But yes, unless you are willing to die and retry it a lot, I would say it is worth it is still worth experiencing, but I wouldn't strongly recommend that you play it over watching a playthrough. Maybe not a speed run <laughs> because you get a weird idea of how the game goes. But actually, that makes it a kind of if you watch somebody playing it through like to a sensible degree, like in a half an hour kind of session, basically, you've got like a cool wordless animated episode of a sci fi show kind of thing. Uh, and actually, that takes out a lot of the frustration of pixel perfect jumping and instant deaths and failing to complete a sequence because you forgot to go to a location that's five screens away 10 minutes ago and, and stuff like that so yeah that certain aspects that are very much of their time and he was feeling his way through effectively trying to kind of not make a new genre as such but make some innovations within existing genres and marry some some ideas together and um in, um, yeah incredibly grateful for his work but not a game that i'm going to insist that you must all play for yourselves but well worth looking into but you've listened to this podcast now so yeah <laughs> go and look at the box art and you'll be fine tony pretty much 
echo your thoughts. Um, I think you know the things I will you know um, recommend about this game is, like you say, the way that its presentation, its art, its design, um, the way it marries certain things all together, but feels incredibly modern back when you know these things weren't an everyday occurrence. Um, you know that stuff has to be absolutely applauded, um, and it, that will always stick in my memory for thinking, okay, this is one of the originators of the way that modern day game game design is laid out. You know, and like mm. all things, you know, it can feel a little old in its presentation because you know it's the beginning of something. Um, but like you, you know, I I'm not too sure that I would say yes, you need to go and play this game because. You know, it does have the frustrations of an older game where, you know, you're dying multiple times just to figure out a single puzzle. Uh, and whether you enjoy that, which I think a lot of modern day gamers do not enjoy that. Um, your mileage may vary whether you want to actually play through that. Although I would, I always find watching a walkthrough or just watching someone play through a game like this in half an hour without any kind of deaths really quite misleading because I think, mm. you know, this, this game, you know, it, there is a trial and error and there's a, there's a certain enjoyment in the own regards of the, of that trial and error. So watching someone do a, not even a speed run, just a pixel perfect, you know, walk through in a half an hour, you, you kind of don't get necessarily the context of, of, you know, some of the puzzles and how hard they can actually be if you're just trying to work it out yourself. But equally, if you're stuck on a, an individual section for, you know, 20 minutes and half an hour, just trying to get, through one or two jumps and keep getting caught even in that first screen by tentacles coming from the ceiling and grabbing your head, you realise that you are playing a game, a 30-year-old game. So it's a really odd one for me because, like you, it feels incredibly modern whilst at the same time in the gameplay department Mm. feeling relatively restrictive. And yes, of course, it will in a modern-day standard. But, you know, I think it, it, it maybe it tries maybe a bit too much with what the controls maybe allow it to be back then but um you know i i enjoyed playing it in 2014 um i knew that its significance in um upon its re- original release and actually i i really had fun playing through it again today just you know kind of banging against some of those harder puzzles and and you know remembering oh no i just need to go here and roll don't roll to the left roll to the right because you know, you're gonna get killed <laughs> oh way. yeah don't um, get don't get steamed <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, I'd I'd say it's a really important game, but I don't think it's necessarily an essential game that you need to have played to to kind of fill in that kind of back catalogue of of titles. Thanks, Tony. Chris, how about you? As a keen enthusiast of game design, Another World is a a wonderful game that in, in regards to how transparent it is on many, many different forms of game design that now exist that we now take for granted indeed see evolve from this point. Because what I'm marvelling at is this game's 30 years old Mm -hmm. and it's still really, I found it, I was playing it, you know, twice, three times today on different platforms, preparation for the recording of this show. And I, you know, yes, I was yelling at the screen going, oh, come on, game, really? But I was still really engaged with it. I wasn't um, put off too harshly. I know many of our um, feedback we got, a lot of people saying it bounced off of it because of this difficulty. I wasn't for some reason. Uh, and I think the main reason is I wanted to get this man through this horrific 
thing he was experiencing. And I cannot but marvel about what was made here. So many strides forward were made from this one title. And we can't take that away. Um, but having said that, I'm going to mirror Tony and Leon have said so far, so sorry, everyone, but this is no Chrono Trigger, okay? This is not one of those. This is not a game that, you know, of this genre that you really need to play. It's an important game. It's an embryonic. Many aspects of game design are, are spawned from this point. But there are some really, really unforgivable, in some regards, uh, some regard unforgivable, uh, flaws to the game that uh, make it uh, somewhat impenetrable to some. And that's that's a problem. And it's okay for you to go, you know what, I, I've got better ways to spend my time than trying to master this jump for the 18th time or maybe 80th time. Um, and that's, that's okay. But I think it stands, I think it really does stand to time to a point. I found it thoroughly entertaining today. I'm happy that it exists. I'm happy that we covered it. Good stuff. Let's conclude with uh, with Carl, the man whose avatar is this game. Yeah, so <laughs> I feel like this is a, the wrap-up 10 years in the making, right? Mm. Um, you'd think I'd have it all written down, prepared like an Oscar speech. So this is obviously an incredibly pertinent game to my gaming history. Um, from you know coming in at a young age, uh, at the age of seven, playing this, it making such a strong lasting impression, an impression that's lasted with me now through to well thirty years later. So, um, it just so much of the level design is iconic. The characters um, are so simplistic; it makes them incredibly memorable. And just, I have utmost respect for the confidence of Eric Chahi in putting out a product that was his vision undeterred, whether that's from the art style, the 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 rotoscoped animations, the uh, incredibly bold yet simplistic sound design of the game, or even the frankly staggering Box art, and I mean, this, if you've only ever seen the American Super Nintendo one, like <laughs> we're not talking about that one, funnily enough. Um, but the actual masterpiece, big box, you know, Amiga art that that I I can probably confidently say is my favorite ever piece of of gaming mm. art that that's existed. Mm -hmm. Um, the the memories have lasted incredibly strong for these 30 years um, and they probably will forever more and with that said what else can I say but other than I completely agree with the three of you I don't think <laughs> it's <laughs> I don't think it's mandatory playing at all um, but I do think that for the history of video games and truly independent games design you should maybe read more on it you should probably play a realistic uh, or watch a realistic playthrough of the game and um, probably save yourself a little bit of the frustration and look at the box art because <laughs> it's genuinely incredible 
Um, but the the I can't distill. I can't share my memories, my experiences of that game, and have you experience them in the same way. Um, I have to be realistic in that people come into this game now. I can't complain or be frustrated if you are left frustrated by the lack of accessibility, the delays in jumping, the frustrations that play, because I have not given games that same pass in those 30 years that I have this game because of my experience of when I originally played it. So I understand that those barriers, those frustrations will exist for so many people as they did back then, especially with the uh, incredible amount and variety of video games we've got now. Um, I but I do absolutely recommend watching a playthrough of this game because I think as a one and done, as I mentioned, without the sequel, it's a pretty special thing. Um, for me, I love the little world, the story, the the strength of imagination that you've got to be to piece everything together and and create the the the, the world that exists there in full. Um, I absolutely adore that. I adore. Eric Chahi's vision, um, and for that reason, Another World is an incredibly important game for me in my uh, gaming life. I was going to ask, is it actually possible to buy a reproduction just of the painting without any anything else on it, like to make a giant printout of or you know, to, to hang on your wall? I would think that would be something that would be like the, the crowning glory to any gaming space that you have, Carl. Yeah, I have looked, I have searched, I also checked things like display and stuff in the past, and I've never found something that's what I want that that doesn't have, like, Mm. 20th anniversary or something plastered all over it. I just want the artwork, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. All right, well, just remains for me, Leon, to thank Chris, Carl, Tony, Editor Jay, our correspondents, and, of course, you for listening. Next time, in issue 500... (gasps) from another world (laughs) to outer wilds.